Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Meet Kitty Collins, fighting the patriarchy one murder at a time. Have you ever walked home at night, keys in hand, ready to throw a punch in self-defense? That's how it all began. My killing spree, I mean. He was following me, that guy from the nightclub that wouldn't leave me alone. I hadn't intended to kill him, of course, but that's where my addiction started. I've got a taste for revenge, and quite frankly, I'm killing it. The new fiercely addictive thriller of 2023, How to Kill Men and Get Away With It by Katie Brent is out now. This is a deliciously dark, hilariously twisted story about friendship, love, and murder. Katie began writing during the Me Too movement and wanted her book to reflect a changing society. The protagonist, Kitty Collins, is a woman who has done everything right, everything expected of a woman in her late 20s. On the outside, she's pretty and inoffensive. She knows how a woman is supposed to behave. But now she's done being the good girl. How to Kill Men and Get Away With It takes a critical look at modern culture, specifically social media's celebrity culture and its absurdities. It also sheds light on the serious issue of male violence against women and girls, envisioning what a world would look like if we treated violence against men in the same almost trivial way. There are some content warnings we'd like to address, including rape, domestic violence, child abuse, childhood trauma, mental health, and obviously murder. This wickedly clever novel is perfect for fans of Promising Young Woman and Killing Eve. You can purchase How to Kill Men and Get Away With It by Katie Brent on bookshop.org, the HarperCollins website, or anywhere books are sold. If you're a fan of funny, smart, snarky women writers like Samantha Irby, Lindy West, Sloane Crossley, or Jenny Larson, listen up. From award-winning TV writer Laura Belgrave, Tough Titties is a hilarious collection of full-body cringe, watch-through-your-fingers life lessons her own husband calls loser sex in the city. Laura's wildly relatable coming-of-age stories include hate-following her sixth-grade bully on social media decades later, moving home post-college to measure her self-worth in hookups with Upper East Side bartenders, dating a sociopathic man-baby, proving herself in the early 90s at New York's coolest magazine as the world's worst intern, falling for get-rich-quick schemes on the internet, and most of all, saying tough titties to the supposed tos in life. Driving a car, being on time, handing in your paperwork, learning to roast a chicken, and having kids. Peppered with cutting insights on our confusing, self-helpy culture that calls hair removal self-care and tells us to give our 110%, but also to give zero fucks, Tough Titties will leave you feeling better about, well, everything. Let's face it, we're all tired of shame spiraling after being told what to do when we know we're not going to do any of it. Tough Titties comes out June 13th from Hachette Books. Order from your favorite local bookstore or shop online at bookshop.org. Hello, Feminist Book Club listeners. My name is Alana, and I'm here with Sam, and we are content contributors for the FBC community. And today we're going to be talking about Yellowface, Arv Kwong's latest release. I couldn't put this book down. Just for a little bit of background, the book is narrated by June, and she has sort of co-opted her more successful friend's work. She watches her friend die, and then she takes her manuscript. And June is a white woman and her friend Athena is 
an Asian woman and she starts to pass herself off sort of as an Asian person. And she, you know, what she's doing is despicable, but she is so readable and you, she has no idea that what she's doing is terrible. I thought this was like masterful. I thought she was a masterful narrator. So that really stuck with me. I thought that a lot of the conversation in the book, just jumping straight into it, is about like cultural appropriation because it's been happening forever. But in the last three years with how white writers in particular have been responding to some of the demands and requests of underrepresented people. And usually the response is super, super defensive because, you know, no one wants to be called a racist. So she has these moments where she's like, you know, like, why couldn't I write about a, a Chinese narrative, right? Why do white writers only have to write about white things? Why can't they write about other characters, blah, 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 blah. Whereas in the literal sense, we have an Asian author writing from the perspective of a white woman. And I thought that that was really, really cool um, to be so involved in that conversation as she's telling the story. And it just sort of adds to it. And you're like consciously aware of it, obviously. It forces you to be involved in the conversation just for the fact that you are holding the book and engaging with it. So I think June is is a really, really interesting and strong narrator. And I'm not sure if we have another another one like her. No, and there's... Fong does this thing where she's really trying to get into June's awareness, where she's just like self-justifying over and over again. And then there are like these little like moments where as the reader, you're like... Oh, she just said that Asian people are so polite, like, and, you know, and just as it, without any like ounce of self-criticism and it, this is just coursing throughout. And I just thought the way that it was done was, was so good. Uh, I read an interview with Kwong the other day where she said that she read a lot of psychological thrillers where the narrators were white women, like Gone Girl. And I haven't read a ton of those, but I imagine there's also something there where like there are these hateable narrators that you also can't stop reading. The unreliable narrator. Yes. Which is, it felt like June was, June was both consciously aware of all of her decisions and just sort of telling herself the opposite. Your cat is amazing. The opposite all at the same time, but it sort of laid out for the reader. And I thought it was really interesting because this is how everything was communicated exactly how it looks on paper for I think marginalized people when these conversations come up. And it isn't and it isn't so much just a, I mean it's very much so about race like very heavily, but as well and I want to point out to readers that she does not pull any punches. Like it's not a metaphor, like she's she's being very literal. And very direct the entire time. But there's also the conversations of capitalism, in a sense, of like how publishers will be consciously aware of this and will still continue to support an author for the sake of how many sales they're making. The things with like authors responding negatively to Goodreads reviews and directly contacting bookstagrammers or book talkers to argue with them about their opinions. And just the, there was a, a few lines in the book where she's just like, I need to have that constant response of being on social media, even when I'm not okay. Like, I can't really be here. And I say all that because 
another thing with June and having a narrator and having this sort of this mental thing happening is that this is how it is communicated to people of color when we get these responses. Because the thing that was so crazy about this book to me is that none of it was made up. Like everything that you read in this book is something that we, if you're active in the book community, or you don't really have to be, a lot of the stuff hit headlines big enough where, you know, you've probably heard about some of these instances in passing, but none of every, since like George Floyd, since 2020, we've seen every instance of this book take place with a different white author and still in communication with some of these instances, just in terms of representation. Like a lot of the Sarah J. Mass things, a lot of the Colleen Hoover conversations, very much so, but none of it is is fake. And I just thought the way that she was able to communicate these things, because one thing to know is like, I'm not Asian, but I'm Black. <laughs> and the experience was exactly the same. Like she's speaking for a lot of people very, very well. And I should note that I'm white. And I, I came into this book after having read Babel and sort of knowing that, you know, Kwong is very, very overt in her criticisms of allyship, of where it fails, of particularly where, you know, good intentions don't necessarily result in good actions. And that really, it was really strong throughout this book. And when you were talking about publishing, I thought what was really interesting there there were these characters that seemed really minor, according to June. Like there was someone who's sort of a lower level person in the, in the publishing industry who raises all these questions about the work she's doing and suggests a sensitivity reader, suggests that really she, you know, she's engaging in cultural appropriation. And because June is sort of like coasting on her fame, everyone else in the industry is supporting her. And it, it ends up that that person's career is ruined, but it's just sort of this afterthought where really it's it really an important point that gets kind of, it, you know, just sort of slides in there. I think the role that the publisher played throughout the book was one of the most interesting parts because there was never a time where they were going to give June consequences. They were going to make it work for themselves no matter what. They, they weren't even really worried about like the marketing. And I thought that was particularly interesting because during the time that this book was being advertised, I think at its height, Arv Kwong's publisher was HarperCollins. And at the time, they were striking for the same things that Kwong is critiquing in her book. And she was so outspoken about her stance against the publisher at the time while they continued to pump money into her marketing plan. And I thought that that was one of the most baller things that's ever happened in publishing history. But this is exactly like if you were, if you were commentating or aware of the HarperCollins union strike, this is, this is what that book was. Yeah, it's very intense to think about that happening in the background sort of not during the writing, but during the publicizing of this book. And I also think this book shows it's really difficult to sort of win in publishing if you're someone who's marginalized, if you're someone who's interested in in these, in really who has the right to tell what story, because the people who try to, to intervene are just shut down. And the people in power don't really care about these questions. 
And that just kept happening again and again. And then I also felt like there was a point in which this critiqued readers to a degree, or at least readers who were like engaging in discourse on Twitter and sort of like feeding on these phenomena that we, that we watch happen in publishing where like, it was like a year, maybe a year or two years ago, it comes out, there's a story that comes out and wins an award. I, I think I'm telling this correctly. It's about a woman who donates a kidney. And it turns out that the woman who donated a kidney is real and was in the same writing workshop as the person who wrote the story. And the person who wrote the story was feeding on these Facebook posts that the kidney donor had posted. And what ends up happening is like both of these people are really repugnant. In the end, the person who donated the kidney was a white woman. She it like sort of becomes clear she wasn't really altruistic about this. She sort of kept being like, look how I helped this impoverished woman. And then the other woman sort of poached all of her feelings and turn the story against her. And I felt this playing out in the book a lot too, pretty on the nose in terms of the way that Athena sort of draws on her friends and her her lovers and her family's problems and her stories and how it, it got really sensationalized and people loved reading this stuff. And that's how it felt throughout June's story where like the readers were also fueling her fame and her self-involvement. Yeah, and I think that doubles down on like the last five pages, which we won't get into because it's like a kind of a big spoiler. And how those two people are just in how she manages to con- continue persevering, which I also took as like another thing with the industry as well of publishing, that it's sort of a machine that keeps going. There was a New York Times article that Kwong did where she goes, I didn't want to be a box checked off on somebody's diversity read challenge. And I was like, yeah, like that's like the conversation of the writer, the writers in the community in this book is just as strong as like the readers and who they are supporting. There's a period of time where as shit kind of hits the fan, June gets a lot of Trump supporter readers and her sales spike up, you know, and then these conversations were being held on social media at the release of these fictional books, at the idea of this white woman writing this book is all very real. And the one-star Goodreads, you know, reviews before evidence had come out and things like that. It's a real, it is, it was, I think that she's saying that the sort of conversation we have is not necessarily solely the fault of writers and publishers. And not that there's a fault either, but there's just kind of like what you said, there's a there's a way that the readers and how they communicate these thoughts and opinions online and the bloggers or blah, 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 sort of fuel this fire. And none of it is actually, like there's, there's not a resolve in this book. It doesn't resolve because it doesn't resolve in, in real life. You just get action in response and action in response and action in response. And you're still, we're still getting a small handful of people of color who are writing or getting to the point where they're published. And there's a part of the conversation where it's like New York Times bestsellers are not 
they're chosen. They're like the publishers will decide beforehand who is going to get it, and they do. And I don't really know where that leaves the reader. I'm not sure this book is. I kind of feel like this book wasn't necessarily intended for the person of color necessarily as an audience because we already know what this is. And I'm really curious to see what the large response is from the white community in particular. Yeah, I can definitely see what you're saying about, I, it, like, even based on sort of how the narrator is constructed, it, it does feel like it's really, it, it can be speaking to a white reader. And I also am interested in what the reception is because it's such a different book than, say, Babel, which got this sort of really giant reception, even in the face of the HarperCollins strike. But they, but I mean, not that they touch on totally different themes. I think they have a lot. They really speak to each other. The more that you speak, the more I just think how this book just could have happened, how every aspect of it felt like something like it, it just felt like you were sort of living this real thing that because you have seen it happen again and again and again. Maybe just not so condensed. I, so with the conversation of like, can a white person write a black person or an Asian person or blah, 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 can they tell that story? My general, my general thought process on it is, is this, is, it's sort of a slippery slope. It's like a, it's like a slippery hill. And my reason for saying that is that technically, yeah, you can. My, as a black person who reads, my preference would be that if you're going to write, particularly a black person. I only speak for black people because I, I can do that to an extent. If you're going to write like a black best friend, make them a three-dimensional character. And if you want to have diversity in your writing, it's possible that someone's race or the stereotypes attached to their race is not the entirety of the character. But I think it's most important, like my biggest thing is that it is very hard for anyone to write about the experiences of somebody else because they are layered and there's multiple intersectionalities attached to that. I am a queer Black woman and I'm neurodiverse. I quite simply cannot write a, a promising narrative of like a straight white man in his 40s. I do not have the experiences. I've been on the planet for half the time. I don't know. I can't do it as well as somebody who is or has lived that life. Right. But in Yellowface, what I feel like is in this conversation is sort of had throughout the narrative, amongst the m- many other things. But I feel like June is not necessarily being written trying to write the experiences of a white woman. But it felt like everything that she was saying were things that I had already experienced as a person of color from white women, like direct quotes. And I thought that that is once again I think very difficult like I think Kwong's writing is like very very like I don't I don't I don't have a degree in English or anything but I'm assuming that it's like very technically good because that's insane to take this conversation and spin it and still give your story through the lens of somebody else on the discussion of race yes I just keep coming back to it again and again because she pulled off something I've just never seen before in fiction where not only because you, you, unreliable narrator is the right term, but it's also something else. It's like a, a narrator that's completely lacking self-awareness. And it just, she hit sort of all of these pain points that she expressed her own experience reversed, which I think is just so difficult to do. 
I agree with a lot of what you're saying about, you know, who can tell whose story. And I think, you know, when you're, you know, when, if you're a white person and you want to portray someone else, you have to ask yourself why, like, why would I be the person to tell that person's story? And am I silencing someone else's voice by doing that? And, you know, this character, June, she never asked that question. And I think that's where I, that's really where her problem starts. Maybe it's not her only problem. She has lots of problems, but that might be where it starts. What I thought was such an interesting conversation that was like kind of tossed into like a passing scene was when all the writers, she's at her first big like writer and they're standing ground and they're talking about the new up and coming writers in the book. You also get a very, I don't know how accurate it is, but you get a very interesting lens into how writers communicate with each other, like on a social level. And it's very similar to the way that musicians do, at least in like a conservatory college level where it's like, well, how active are you? How many gigs are you playing? How many followers do you have? You know, who are you, who are you touring with? Oh, if you're not touring at this level, then I can't really talk to you. Or if you're not doing these many gigs, I can't really communicate with you or, you know, whatever. But the minute you get to a certain point in height, oh, you should come jam with us after class, blah, 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 blah. But. So basically, we're getting a layout of this sort of culture within the writer community, but they're the top dogs are standing there and they're talking to each other. And somebody goes in reference to diverse writers or on on own voice writers, you know, if because there's so there's not enough opportunities for them to thrive, we should be stepping in to tell these stories because if not them or if not us, then who? Which is is really interesting thing that I've heard quite a bit in the last couple of years as well of white people being like you don't have these opportunities which is true there's a very large difference in how people of color are supported in the industry um, or any industry yet I'm in a position to do so so you should be grateful that I'm telling your story versus as somebody who's who has power in this industry what can I do to shift the gears? There was a, there's also alongside that the, the conversation of like a white woman who is being sometimes outwardly attacked or directly accused versus, hey, like Candace, who is one of the characters, but that doesn't sit right with me. Why don't we walk through, you know, through this, you know, chain of publishing set of orders how we can sort of address that, which I thought was a really interesting little thing because there are a lot of times where people who are reading these books who do feel like it's a little awful give white writers an out. They'll say, hey, maybe you should reconsider this or blah, 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 blah. And there's this, you know, this I'm not racist. And it's like, I hear you. I'm just trying to help you out here before it gets to a point where we can't anymore. We often try to give assistance where we can, where there's often a debate that we shouldn't because the industry has been around long enough. If you're confused or don't know how to accurately or effectively, that's the word I want to look for, apply your allyship or your position as someone who is a privileged, we're not asking you to step in. We're asking you to vote in some cases. We're asking you to advocate. We're asking you to strike. The writer strike is happening right now. But the other thing that I was going to say is there's a comparison to being a woman in the industry, which is spoken about a little bit in the book as well. And that being equal to being a woman of color in the industry or dealing with sexism is the same as dealing with racism. 
And my response to that is that people who are of color still deal with those things too. And they're different things and they stack. And that's something that is very, very frequent. And I think the literary community, and I'm a bookseller and I deal with this a lot just because our staff is primarily of color. And we're sort of a higher end bookstore. We get a lot of upper uh, east and west side customers who will come in and at the, you know, just at the idea of saying no, we'll be like, well, I'm a woman and you don't know like my experiences and blah, 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 blah. And it's a bookstore. It's really weird, you know? Yeah. I think people play, I don't want to say play because I, I mean, clearly there, there is a patriarchy that exists that is real. It's just not the same thing as racism. And they exist, you know, on everything exists on the spectrum and on different planes. And you can't compare your experience with one sort of set of problems to another set of problems. They don't compare. And you can't sort of say that I, I can't, you, know, you can't say I'm not racist because I'm a woman because that doesn't make sense. The interesting thing about the book is that it says all of this implicitly, but it doesn't say it explicitly because we're only seeing it through the eyes of this very skewed character. And I think it lends itself to having lots of conversations afterwards and to really thinking sort of after you close it every time because you're, you're left with the gaps in this person's worldview, which is really interesting. I wrote a seven page review when I set this book down. And I don't think there is a single book that has done that to me beforehand. And like I said, these are all things that I've already sort of witnessed. So for that to still spark so, such a response at like 1 a.m. in the morning after I had been to work that day was, was really telling of how well, because the conversation is had a lot, all the time. We see it literally all the time. But for it to be executed so well and through the lens at which it is, I think was brilliant. And I always think about when I finish a book, if I would recommend it and how I would recommend it and if so, to whom. And I would just say, read it, I think. Just like it. <laughs> especially if you're involved in just reading, if you enjoy reading, if you like being up to date on what's happening in the publishing industry. And that can literally just mean this book is coming out in eight months versus this book is coming out next week. And if you're active on social media and if the idea of engaging with these conversations is sort of stressful to you, this is a great book to sort of discuss that because. In my review, you know, in my internet experience with the book community, it is kind of nerve wracking and it can get kind of stressful because you don't know how your words are going to be taken or you don't know how they're going to be used against you. And they can, it can kind of happen in ways that you don't expect. But also if you want to write a book, I think this is a, a great place to go just for like a better insight on like what, just like take the plot out. It pretty lays out a pretty clear idea of like, okay, you have a book deal. This is the timeline. This is how you talk to somebody. This is what it looks like when this contract comes through. It's a very informative book across the board, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was brilliantly executed. And if you haven't read Kwong, I think any of her books are, are definitely worth the time. This one is the first book of hers that sort of strays away from like the sci-fi she has the Poppy Wars. If you're going to read the Poppy Wars, please note that that is a series. 
So the Poppy Wars is the first one. And then there's Babel, which came out maybe a year ago. I also would recommend this for all the reasons that you said for everything that we've talked about. I'd also recommend it because it talks a lot about serious issues in publishing. It talks about race. It does it in really interesting ways. I also read it in probably 48 hours because it's excellent. And, you know, in the same way that these sort of Twitter discourse writing scandals happen and you know, the thing is, is that they are interesting and they are readable and it, you know, there's a reason there is an intrigue to them and all of that's here too, for better or worse. It sort of drives at least me through it. There's a part where she's talking about famous literary couples and it's just a good little two sentences. That's all I wanted to say. Legendary two sentences. (laughs) But yeah, so overall, good vibes here. Definitely rush out to buy it for people who are, this book will probably be back ordered for people who are looking to to purchase it. And if you don't know what that means, that means basically the publishers print, don't print enough books for the demand. And sometimes that can just be because they didn't print enough books, like the case with I'm glad my mom died, or the book is just selling incredibly well, like tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. So please exercise all of your resources if you can to find a book. If you're not looking, you can't find it at your local bookstore. And there's always bookshop.org. But thank you all for listening. You can keep in contact with us via the links in our show notes. And we will see you soon. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, red woman is a dangerous creature, creature.